Welcome to the Wellbeing Rebellion, the podcast that's changing workplace cultures for good. We're your hosts, Ngazi Wella and Obehi Alafoje. Let's get this rebellion started. When I started my corporate career, I felt pretty confident in what my understanding of the tenets of good leadership was. I thought I knew. I'd studied information and management at uni, and I'd been taught that a good manager would be someone who recognizes and nurtures the potential of their employees and that understood that employees were individuals rather than numbers or roles. That's what I thought a good leader or good manager would be. So I very eagerly went into the world of professional work, but unfortunately my expectations turned out to be a little idealistic. Over the course of my corporate career, what I came to realize was that whilst leadership and interpersonal skills are valued in any business environment. Technical skills are prized above all else. As a result, companies traditionally promote their best and brightest positions of increasing seniority based on how successfully they manage their individual responsibilities. So the top performing sales consultant is promoted to the team leader. And if the team succeeds, then they're made regional manager and so on and so on and yeah, so on. Yeah. And <laughs> the issue with this approach is um, on paper, it seems like it would work. You know, the best person in that job, either individual performer or contributor, gets result, therefore should be able to lead a team to get the same result that they did, right? Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, that's not how that works because... As a leader, once you step into position of leadership, managing other people, you're, that's the role, it's exactly what it said. You're now managing people, not the task. So because it's no longer the task, you're not the one doing the task anymore. You're now managing a whole new set of skill sets, which is managing people. So if you have people who are not suitable to, or don't have the skill set to manage people, then it makes sense that that leader will struggle and probably focus on the bit they know best, which is about the technical abilities and the task. So in a world where poor mental health has risen sharply from 10% before pandemic to 25% at the moment, the approach to people management is no longer effective. We can't use the old school style of leadership pre-pandemic to now lead this new global workforce. We need something different. So people can no longer afford to engage in careers that fail to support their mental health. So they will walk and go to other people who can. So companies can no longer afford to have leaders who are not people people or not people managers or don't have the skills to manage them to continue to manage them. That's why in this episode of the Wellbeing Rebellion, we're going to explore why line managers are the secret weapon in the war against the impact of poor mental health in your workplace. Training your managers in mental health matters and doing your best to take them from whoever they are to the leadership ideal, it's the most effective way of ensuring that you have a pervasive change in your workplace culture. 
employee well-being problems and their knock-on effect on workplace productivity mostly can be avoided if leaders were able to embrace the characteristics that create that psychological safety we keep banging on about <laughs> in their work environments. So yes, technical excellence is essential, but in a post-pandemic world, employees have to start training their people managers to do that, to manage people, not processes, not roles, but people. And that means cultivating interpersonal or soft skills alongside their other talents. Lots of employees want a new boss. Who hasn't been in a job where they've had a crappy boss? And that changes everything about how you show up at work. It can make you fearful, distrustful. It can make your working life absolutely miserable. There are lots of stats that back this up. There was a 2022 sitting guilds poll, right? The results of which were that two thirds of employees, 68%, viewed people management as an essential leadership skill, right? But almost half of the respondents, 45%, thought it was lacking within the skill sets of their direct management. There's a mismatch there that shouldn't happen. I'm remembering. The Euros, the last Euros that we had, when we got quite far, we actually made it to the final, the semi-finals against Denmark. And I never care about football. I can't even tell you what year this was. But I do <laughs> remember how much as a nation we loved and respected Gareth Southgate, who led the team to the semis. And Gary Neville was commenting on that match. And he said this, the standard of leaders in this country the past couple of years has been poor. But looking at that man, and he was talking about Southgate, looking at that man, he's everything a leader should be. Respectful, humble, he tells the truth. And what was really interesting to me about that comment is, it, is that Neville wasn't talking about Southgate's innovation or his ability to select diverse talent or any other kind of analytical comment about how um, tech, uh, Southgate's technical football knowledge, even his football leadership knowledge. But what he focused on instead was his interpersonal skills, his ability to create a culture of respect within the team, to maintain a channel of open communication through the use of persistent openness and honesty. And a shift towards that kind of leadership model that individuals like Southgate embody is clearly both necessary and in demand, right? It's necessary because we're in a new workplace where the pressures on everybody from shop floor to C-suite are high. We are in a cost of living crisis the UK set to be, according to the OECD, the only major economy to go down this year. So it's going to shrink this year as opposed to grow in comparison with the rest of the world. That's, that's something that we're, that's a challenge we're facing. So there's a lot of pressure on us. And also with the um, 
great resignation, we know that employees just won't tolerate it. So we need to do something as employers to equip our managers with the tools that they need to be mentally healthy leaders. So to be strong themselves and also capable of supporting their own employees. Technical talent isn't enough anymore. We've got to start to invest in filling that soft skill gap that the pandemic has revealed. Yeah, I mean, um, you talk about the soft skills. I do resent those um, because it makes it look like it's a subpar skill set. Um, when really, when it comes to leadership and leading organizations, leading teams, getting people to follow you, see your vision, it, it is, those soft skills are as crucial as any other skills you can use. I agree. So the idea they still called soft is annoying, but um, anyway, that's another debate for another day. But what I wanted to say, um, just to follow on to the point, is organizations have a legal responsibility, as well as moral, but legal responsibility towards their employee. They have a duty of care, right? But without information, data, insight, actions from the line managers who are in direct connect, connection, uh, conversation with your employees, it's important for an organization or a business to deliver on that expectation because you don't really know what's going on behind the scenes. You can't see it, right? So the role of the manager in the workplace, we think about what the law officially says it is. So here's what it said. This is based on the Health and Safety at Work Act of 1974, right? Where whether mental health issue is caused by work or simply aggravated by it, UK employers have a responsibility to protect and support their employees with their health and well-being, okay? Because that would include assessing risk from hazard at work, which is like physical risk, including work-related mental health issues. The 2010 Equality Act protects many people with mental health issues from unfair treatment in the workplace. And yet, um, I'm not to mention it in a previous episode, but... We uh, have, obviously, we have clients and uh, colleagues from the legal profession, and we were talking to employment lawyers, and they said that nine out of 10 disability tribunal cases, right, are due to mental health issues. Mm -hmm. Mental health issues that were not handled properly, that escalated to the place of, um, Tribunal, yeah, yeah, or legal and, issues. And that is so different to the world 10 years ago, even five years ago. Yeah. It it used to be a focus on physical health and safety, bad back and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Musculoskeletal issues. It's not Ooh, that anymore. That well. I never know. How I can do it. Go and try it. No. 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 Musculoskeletal. Musculoskeletal. Yeah, you see? Skeletal. Look at that, my <laughs> favorite word now. Musculoskeletal. <laughs> okay, get back to your point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, so that, that used to be the case. It was always a physical health issue, but now four out of five is mental health related. So it's stress, it's um, anxiety, um, low mood. There's all kinds of things, but they're usually the top four. I can't recall the whole thing, but the top four 
is mental health related and the fifth one is the physical bit. So what we're trying to get at here, I mean, this is the whole point of me talking about what the, the law says, is where did that lead to with leadership itself? What's the leadership landscape now? 2020 report, this is the, it was a report leading to challenging times. I forget who created that report. I'll find out. So that 73% of employees believe that their company leadership had been lacking during the pandemic. Okay, so then looking based on what Engadis did about the City and Jude poll, we can see that 68 view management as essential, but 45 considered that they didn't have the skill set. Mm-hmm. Today's employees are clearly going to demand more. They will continue to demand more because they're socially different. The Gen Z are different um, and subsequent generations will be different. So we need to be able to put in place today if we're thinking of how to grow our businesses and how relevant our businesses will look in five, ten years' time. Mm-hmm. Companies who fail to create psychological safe places will struggle because people are making decisions about where they want to spend the majority of their time. So it has to fit in with the lifestyle that they want to lead and the life they want. Therefore, managers must inspire trust, transparency, in order to identify and support employees in need. Leaders must be equipped to tackle sensitive issues affecting staff well-being. This requires a mastery of human-centric skills. They wonder we call soft, but they are clearly not. Compassion, communication, resilient, emotional intelligence. We're not all born with it, but we can learn some mm-hmm. people better than others. But this is the way of the world, it's where we're going, and there's no going back. Mm. But if you want your leaders to lead in this new 2023 post-pandemic era, you're going to have to show them how to do it. They're going to have to have some training. But if you train them well, then the whole organization will benefit. These programs can help your leaders to become accountable, not just for their own well-being, but for the well-being of their team and can provide quantifiable progress that can become a business metric. Remember, we're always talking about if you don't measure it, how can you improve it? You can get these measurements, but you will need the support of your line managers to get them. So you need to train them on how they're measuring, how they're collecting. It can feed into the corporate goals and uh, help you to justify the return on investment for stakeholders. But all this needs to be carefully introduced, needs to be carefully trained. And often in SMEs, the responsibility for employee well-being doesn't sit with the line managers, which is where we firmly think it should for for um, the monitoring and the support of, of, of employees. It shouldn't be just HR's responsibility. But how many clients yeah. it, who have smaller businesses does it default to the people person, the HR manager? It does. You guys in HR are already overstretched. You don't have the time, and this is critical, you don't necessarily have that level of expertise to be able to devise and implement a comprehensive well-being strategy 
that helps you to reduce the impact of mental ill health on critical performance metrics like absence rates and productivity. So in a bid to do something, you do these reactive things, replicating what the big boys are doing, like well-being days and talks and all these large firm initiatives. And whilst it's a positive step forward, I mean, a well-being day or a mental health webinar is better than nothing. Statistically, it's not proven to be anywhere near as effective as actually having direct interventions. Yeah. Right. And the first step to doing this is to making sure that your line managers are aware, trained and capable of normalizing the mental health conversation with their employees, providing that psychological safety so that when they ask, how are you, their employees feel comfortable enough to open up. It's something that we just assume everybody's born with that ability, but be really honest. How many people in your office would you trust to open up to? Good question. Right? particularly your boss. And if you can say you can, you're, you're, you're lucky. Given the seismic shifts that we're seeing in, in attitudes towards workplace well-being, it's not an option really for us to ignore this in part of our leadership development. When you are training your line managers, how much of that training is focused on how they effectively manage people? how they notice when there's something wrong. How do they bring up sensitive topics, regardless of what that topic is, yeah. whether it's menopause, bereavement, workload, divorce, or it doesn't matter what it, it, is. What it is. It's the same skills required. How do you get that in a way that feels authentic to that line manager? So you're not just giving them a script because we're quite savvy now. We'd be able to tell if our line manager is just doing it because he has to yeah, or, or she or has to. <laughs> he just come back from a one-day training yeah. and then all of a sudden he's like, why do you didn't turn like, mm. you know, want to help you and support? Why, why do you didn't turn like he never used before? Mm. Because, and he'll forget to use them eventually, few, um, you know, a few weeks down the line. But one of the things that came up, I just remembered, is obviously we, we run roundtables and we tend to do them in collaboration with um, other organizations, including law firms and things. So, what was interesting, we had a recent one and uh, one of the, again, with UHR folks, which is lovely to see you guys as usual. Um, but one of the things that was trying to say, oh, well, we do a lot of well-being stuff and we're trying to support our managers to do them. So, and we're encouraging them to, you know, try, you know, have a well-being conversation and day and, you know, go out for a walk mm-hmm. um, and lovely. And they're lovely. But I had to say, where did you get the idea that that would work? Like, where did you get it? And it's like, oh, because, well, that's what people are doing. And, you know, we had a conversation about it. Me and some of the managers met and the leaders met, which is great. Which one of you there was a therapist, counselor, anything? None of you. So you all just decided that taking a walk would be the thing that would help a team member talk, open up. Like, it could. But on the basis of what and what are the structures around it that would allow a manager or an employee to just open up on a walk? 
Mm. Is it because trust was already established beforehand? Is it because psychological safety was already established beforehand? Or is it just, let's go for a walk. We're asking about, might help you tell me stuff. Mm. That's not how that works. Yeah. So again, we've said it several times. It is not your expertise, not your responsibility, but your job is to help make sure you have the right frameworks, you have the right structure to follow. And if those structure and framework will be helped, will, can only come from people who have the expertise like us. And it doesn't have to be us or us. There are many other services that do what we do. And they are experts within that role. They've been doing it for years or they have the formal expertise to be able to help you with that. So please stop. With uh, I just want to add in there. What? There are many doing it, but not many who do it as well as That's we it. do. But at least it's <laughs> oh, I love that. But I please stop with the football. Please stop with the pool table. Please stop with the let's all go for walks together. They are, they are, they are tactic. They're, it's a bit like you trying to look after your whole physical health, right? But you're only focusing on whether or not you're going to have a banana a day. That's yeah. not your whole That's health. That's a good analogy. Like in, that banana is great. But is that it? That can't mm. be it. So mm. there are other things. You're going to have to exercise. You're going to have to have conversations with your partners and your kids. And you're going to go and check and your woman, go and check your lady part. There's a lot of things you've got to do about this lady to sort out your body, your physical body. So the banana cannot be the thing that you put your whole effort, <laughs> emphasis and power and energy on. And bringing this back to <laughs> why leaders are the secret weapon. Here's the thing, all the goodwill and uh, the positive intent that you put into developing this well-being strategy can be lost in an instant if you have a, a line manager who just doesn't buy into it and therefore refuses to do this crap about touchy-feely stuff and feels that everyone should just suck it up. That can lead to one employee not feeling comfortable talking about their mental health, which is aggravated by work or the bullying that they're having or anything like that. And that's when the shit starts to hit the fan. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. You, it only takes, what is it? It takes one bad egg to, to spoil oh, a bunch. Oh, yeah. Is that the expression? I don't know. Look at this way, though. If you had four... Four eggs. I don't know why I'm out with analogies today. Four eggs to make a cake. One of them is bad. The whole cake is done. Yeah. Spoiled is what I meant by done. Not like done like it's done, but you get the idea. Yes. Yeah, so don't spoil your cake. Don't spoil your cake. Check mm. out all the eggs. <laughs> yeah. That's why it's so important that you include leadership development, line manager training. We, we've talked already about executive burnout and how you're supporting your C-suite, yeah. but you need to make sure that the people who are implementing your well-being strategy, who are the face of the corporate, it's okay not to be okay movement, are clued in, that they understand why they have to do this, that they buy it, that they understand how that they, they should do it, that they're given the time to do it, that they're given the training to know how to have the right words to say that feel comfortable to them and authentic so that their employees will also feel comfortable with them. Yeah. That's the only way that you're going to create this culture of psychological safety. 
Yeah. And it's our recommendation. If you are a small, medium enterprise, in other words, under a thousand employee, then it's our recommendation that you seek support in addressing this issue by contracting external expertise where necessary. The large organization don't copy them. They have a whole team of people to do stuff. They have a whole L&D to create training. They can hire someone like me or Engaji to come and deliver one training that they copy and replicate. So I don't want, if you're a small business, small, medium-sized with, you know, under a thousand employees, you have to do things differently. You have to be more creative. You are more agile, so you can move around much quicker than a large organization to change things that don't work out. You um, you can do pilot really quickly and, and review it and then run it, so you can do things. This will help expedite the strategy development, the implementation. It would ensure company fit. It would ensure you get the right suppliers to fit the value of the people in your, your, your organization. You can get a quick turnaround on any survey or or polls that you do with them. You can ease the workload burden on existing resources and ultimately improve outcome for the impacted individuals in your team or organization. Mm. Okay, so the pandemic had brought to the fore the importance and scope of mental health and well-being in the workplace. That part is no longer, we can't dispute that. While it's tragic that it took a global incident to highlight the impact of emotional and behavioral status and employee productivity, it is a much welcome opening for this conversation. Mm. With so many people affected by the mental stresses and strain and with a number of those affected by personal experience of mental illness on the rise, the NHS not being able to cope. It is no longer an issue that can be stigmatized or ignored. The paradigm shift in the workplace attitude to mental health is very much within our reach and, frankly, our control. It required an acknowledgement within the framework of business that employee well-being is an accountable business metric Mm -hmm. that requires financial input and had measurable outcome. It is also will require or should require a top-down approach where employers, leaders, managers co-create the right environment for discussion, openness of mental health, have the right skills to invite people into conversations and concerns that employees might have, and can access the right tools to support and encourage those who need the help. Above all, it needs willingness and investment in your people. Hear, hear. Thanks for listening to us this episode of the Wellbeing Rebellion. We look forward to speaking with you next time. Take care, Rebels. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Wellbeing Rebellion. If you liked what you just heard, please share it with your colleagues, follow us on LinkedIn, the link will be in the show notes, and generally show us some love. We want to build a whole army of fellow Rebels who want to create positive workplaces for everyone. Will you join the rebellion? See you next time.